one of the things I began to be aware of after I stopped uh, preaching, I was a pastor, a preacher for 36 years, and then became more uh, called into full-time prayer ministry. But it, it almost took me to get out of the role of preaching the gospel before I began to see that little, almost none of my preaching had anything to do with the kingdom of God. And as I've been uh, at different other churches and heard other pastors preach, began to realize they don't preach the kingdom of God either. It's, it's more of a gospel that is attuned to the personal salvation of our souls. And it's not the gospel of the kingdom quite so much. When I compared that with the book, especially the New Testament, especially the preaching of Jesus himself as revealed in the Gospels, everything was about the kingdom of God. You know, John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount about the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The, the, the Lord's prayer about the kingdom of God. All the parables, every last one is a parable of the kingdom, and so on. You get the idea. Well, why is there such a discrepancy between the preaching of Jesus and our preaching today? Something's wrong here. Something's amiss. I feel a little bit like John Wycliffe must have felt when he when he read the Gospels in the original and looked at the church and saw such a discrepancy. It seems to me there's a discrepancy right now uh, between what the Bible says and what is normally preached in most churches today. And what is left out is the Gospel of the Kingdom. Now remember uh, Ephesians and Paul's summary of the gospel of the kingdom in Ephesians. And there were seven ingredients. Okay, adoption, redemption, forgiveness. Then there's that statement of the blessed hope, which is Jesus will be the ruler of all the earth and bring the earth to equality or harmony with heaven so that both heaven and earth will be under one head, even Christ, so that there is there is a redemption of the earth bringing it up to snuff with heaven, and there is total harmony between the two. In other words, from Ephesians 1.10, we see that the main goal of the gospel of the kingdom is to bring the earth, the creation, and back to an unfallen state to undo the harm done by Adam's disobedience and all of our disobedience ever since then. There is a desire in God's heart to, to redeem this fallen situation here in creation. And of course, then we go on with the other uh, three ingredients of the gospel of the kingdom. We get a new purpose in life which comes out of the kingdom of God, um, which might explain why so few Christians have any sense of a purpose in life. If we don't preach the gospel of the kingdom, where would we get a purpose other than just waiting to die so we can go to heaven? 
And then there's the um, salvation and the, the gift of the Holy Spirit as an earnest of what God has promised for the future and for eternity. So in other words, really the, the, the focal point of the gospel of the kingdom is God's heart to redeem creation and bring it back to its, his original intent, which is a place of perfect harmony with him. And his laws then would have to be written on our hearts. Well, some, I can almost hear some people saying, well, yeah, but I don't, why should I care what happens to earth? Um, if, 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 if my goal is to go to heaven, why should I care what happens to earth? And of course, that, that's, that's a valid point. Why would any Christian care what happens to earth, except that God cares what happens to earth? So now what we have to do is we have to grow up into the heart of God. We have to stop caring just about what's going to happen to me, 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 and we have to move towards God and try to listen to what's on God's heart and what God wants. And then we become the people that he's looking for to fulfill what's on his heart. We're, instead of him doing stuff for us, we're going to see if we can do stuff for him. And that's the difference, it seems to me, between the gospel that's preached in most churches and also the prayers that are prayed in most churches and what I believe a truly kingdom-minded church would look like, which would be more, what can we, what can we do for God how can we be here to help God fulfill what's on his heart? That's a totally different way of approaching the Christian life. I compare what we seem to preach in most churches to entry-level gospel. Um, entry-level gospel where truly we have opened the door to God, we've invited people to come in, but then we're letting them camp out in the hallway. They've got their little air mattresses, you know, and they're, they're going to just camp out. The Holy Spirit's showing them all the uh, doors all up and down, leading to different rooms full of different things that God has for them. But for some reason, they're afraid to explore this vast mansion, the house of God. And instead, they're just going to be content to uh, spend all their time just in the hallway, entry-level gospel. And so uh, what we see here is that God's heart may be a little bit different from what most of us think the gospel is for, just getting us to heaven and getting us out of hell, fire insurance, as it's often called. Let's look and see from some other key verses in the scriptures what kind of thing we're talking about with the kingdom of God. Uh, first, let's look at Romans 8. Certainly, most people would think that the, the, the eighth chapter of Romans was probably one of the most important chapters. So this is not, um, this is not what you'd call um, a marginal rendering here. This is basic, basic to the gospel. 
And this is what it says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So right now what you see is that God's heart, as he has expressed it here, is for the redemption of his creation. Okay, so he created the earth and all of the cosmos and everything that we see with our eyes with one intent in mind. We came along and we messed that up. So God is not prepared to just let that be the last word. So he's sending a second Adam to take that messed up world and redeem it and bring it back to his it, God's original plan for the world that he made. So he's not willing to let creation just be messed up. The creation itself must be brought back to his original intentions for it. Uh, Satan does not get the last word, and neither do we. God has the last word, and his original intentions must be preserved and brought back in the end. The other thing is that there are children of God. There are certain people who are going to be a part of the process of this. These are going to be revealed at a certain stage. These children of God, children of the kingdom, are going to emerge and help Jesus, the king, bring the, the creation back into fulfillment and back into God's original intentions. Okay, so now let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll see that this happens by stages, all right? 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So what this is saying is that Christ, the first fruits, and he's referring to the resurrection. Jesus was the first resurrected person in world history, and he got a resurrected body. But then he's saying those who belong to him are going to also get resurrected bodies, and the purpose of that is so that we can help this resurrected Jesus when he comes back to bring his kingdom and fulfill this plan for God to redeem the whole of his creation and bring it back to his first longing, his first uh, desire. Okay, so, but that then this happens in stages, okay? The first fruits has already happened. Jesus was raised from the dead. But then uh, when he comes, those who belong to him, and then uh, he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, 
after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So there's a, a period, and it happens to be a thousand years, a period of time between his second coming and this period when he hands it all over to the Father, when he's uh, bringing about massive transformation to the creation, massive transformation. And then the last enemy to be destroyed. Okay, all these enemies will be destroyed during this period of time. All authority and power uh, will be uh, will come under obedience to him, the king. And during that time, then the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. In other words, the creation will continue to experience life and death cycles. Because the last thing that happens at the very end of that thousand-year period is going to be uh, him putting away death itself. Um, and, and that agrees with what Isaiah writes and, and a number of um, uh, Old Testament uh, prophecies talk about that period of time. Uh, it is by no means just um, the Apostle John uh, and now let's look at the book of Acts. Um, Peter was preaching. He preached three sermons that are recorded in Acts 2, 3, and 4. Um, it is interesting that it took him uh, three sermons to get around to mentioning eternal life. Well, what on earth was he preaching during the first two evangelistic sermons ever preached in world history uh, in the name of Christ. Well, he was preaching, you see, the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, we've already mentioned that the gospel of the kingdom has seven ingredients. So uh, if you look at Acts 2, he chose the, the seventh ingredient, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what he promised there in Acts 2 was you uh, you too can receive the Holy Spirit. What you see being poured out here it's available to you. You go ahead, ask, ask for the Holy Spirit. And you and your children and your children's children can all receive the Holy Spirit. And so that was the part of the gospel of the kingdom that he chose to mention on that occasion. And that's just as valid a place to start preaching as any other if Peter is to be believed. And then what do we have in the second sermon? Well, that's when we get to the real uh, goal of uh, of God and this long-range plan uh, to to redeem all of creation. So let's once again, uh, as Peter goes to number four on that list. Okay, the number four thing in in Ephesians one, and this is how Peter puts it: Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore all things as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. All right, so here we have um, Peter showing that there's going to be two periods, the present and this millennial reign, Jesus coming back to rule on earth. Until then, we have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. 
So the kingdom of God is, is offering us one thing, and then when Jesus comes back, it goes to this, the next level, okay? He, his rulership on earth, his physically taking the throne of David and ruling from Jerusalem when he comes back. But be, before then, what we have is times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Go back to my uh, teaching on glory through time, and you'll discover times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord very real, very real, very consistent throughout history as we go through the waves of God's awakenings over the last 2,000 years. So this is very real. And as this is real, so will the coming, the second coming of Christ be very real and historical. In the midst of all of this, we have to ask ourselves, are we positioning ourselves to be useful to his kingdom? Or are we simply waiting to die so that we can go to heaven? And that is the big difference between kingdom-minded churches and these entry-level gospel churches that we see so many of in our day. Um, it's time for us as we move towards the coming of the king to rediscover the true gospel of the kingdom in all of its fullness as best we can and live it out. So let me summarize here. There are two advents of Jesus. I know this is really basic, but there are two advents of Jesus. These are both of them designed to take care of one of the problems that we read about in Genesis 3 with the fall of man. One is that sin entered the world and disobedience. And so we had to have an atoning sacrifice for that sin, a redeeming sacrifice, and to allow the, the barrier between us and God to be removed so that we could enter into that fellowship and be restored with him. That has been accomplished, and it is finished. It was finished on the cross. There is nothing left as far as that goes. There is nothing left undone. The cross did it all. But that does not mean that the kingdom is fully restored on earth. Satan is still there. We still need to preach the gospel to all the nations, um, there comes a time, however, when Jesus will come back. And the other piece of the gospel, which is how Jesus deals with the enemy and the satanic powers that came in and deceived Adam in the first place, that part has not really been dealt with. And that's the part, above all things, that will be dealt with when Jesus returns he will uh, put Satan away. So let's read those parts that have not been done as yet. First of all, uh, let's look at Revelation 20, verse 1 to 3. Um, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss 
and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. All right, so can you imagine a world without any kind of satanic presence? That is what we have during the next period, okay? So when Jesus comes back with all his holy ones, there will be a great conflict, and that will be the result. And the, the, the neat thing to me um, is that there is a constant dialogue between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, apostolic teaching, after all, is based on prophetic teaching from the Old Covenant. All of the apostles were Jews, and they based their teaching on the word that they had already received uh, and accepted, and Jesus said they must accept. Uh, so the idea of Jesus coming back and putting the enemy in prison it was not new to John. He drew it from the prophet Isaiah. And so here we are, Isaiah 24, verse 21. In that day, and he's talking about the end of the age, okay, the, the very time we're talking about. In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon, they will be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. The moon will be abashed, the sun ashamed, for the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders gloriously. So here we have it, very clearly stated in so many words, as clear as God could possibly put it, that at the beginning of this reign of Jesus, with the signs, you know, the blood moon and, and the, the various heavenly signs that come with that. But then one of the first things that happen is uh, God opens the door of this dungeon and throws them all in there and closes it and locks it. Wow, I'm excited about that. I'm excited that we are moving towards that period of time. The kingdom of God on earth. So in this series of teachings you're going to find that I'm not a doom and gloom prophet. Um, we are moving towards exciting events. We are moving towards very, very good events that bring the redemption of God's creation. We are not talking about horrible, horrible things except temporary things. The permanent things are what comes after the times of the tribulation and all of those things that are so often emphasized when people teach on the book of Revelation. Well, we're going to teach on the book of Revelation too, but we're going to be teaching it in such a way as to emphasize the promises, the kingdom promises. And for that, we need to recapture what the kingdom of God is and then we'll see, it's very, very good. The, the least we can do is to recognize the kingdom of God as, as Jesus wants to fulfill it in our personal lives right now. And then he's preparing us and training us for something vastly greater in the future. We'll be looking at what has happened to this promise, or why is it? that so few people seem to be aware 
of Jesus coming back to bring his kingdom on earth. What has happened to hide these promises and make them so rarely preached and rarely understood today? 